1: You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. This is season one, episode number 43. We're calling this one Price Drop. I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mullion Haw Show. On 670, the score, of course, it is your official radio home of the Chicago Cubs. And as always, I am joined by my pal Crawley. Crawley, how the heck are you on this fine Thursday afternoon?
2: I'm doing great. You can follow me at Crawley's Cubs. You can follow us at Fly the W670 on Twitter and Instagram You can follow us on Facebook at FlyTheW, and you can even email us at FlyTheW670 at
1: gmail.com. Well, Crawley, we just found out right before we sat down that some great news for one of the uh, fan favorites for the Chicago Cub, that's left fielder Ian Happ, is a finalist for the National League Gold Glove out in left field.
2: Yeah, we talked about it all season long. I mean, it was just so impressive the amount of work that Ian put into it, and it's really great uh, to see that being recognized now I will say, okay, uh, he's nominated for left field in the NL along with David Peralta from the Diamondbacks and Christian Yelich from the Brewers. I, yeah, I, I
1: I don't I I won't say I saw a lot of Diamondbacks baseball this year because they were worse than the Cubs. Um, I did see plenty of the Brewers. Meh, nah,
0: meh. Nah.
2: I can tell you, David Peralta, I don't have a problem with that at all, but Christian Yelich you're telling me that there's nobody that plays a better left field than Christian. I Look, I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know what the issue is. I did not see a gold glove caliber left fielder there. And this is not a, you know, Chicago, Milwaukee thing. This is, (laughs) this is just based on the fact this is, I mean, the guy was just really awful in every facet of the game, except, you know, he always seems to hit home runs against the Cubs, but offensively he didn't do much. And I mean, honestly, his best contribution was probably on the base paths.
1: Right, but, and and Gold Glove is not about what he did at the plate, right? You could be right. a two two hundred hitter and still be a Gold Glover. See Jason Hayward.
2: Right, so I'm just kind of I've been scratching my head, and I'm, I'm I'm I'll probably go through it tonight a little bit and take a look. Like, is there somebody that, that is? Was there a total mistake here, or was it? You know how like sometimes in these awards they just kind of pick a guy that's a name recognition guy. I don't know. I just don't see Christian Yelich as being. That, that, that there's not, uh, you know, so you got what, 15 left fielders and three are on here. So you're telling me out of the 12, not one of the other NL uh, left fielders was any better than Christian that, that That's a sad state of affairs if that's the case.
1: Well, they're, they're also funny with these postseason awards. There's also like so many innings and so many games. There are weird bars where you have to fit certain criteria. And maybe it's a case with injuries. Maybe guys were moving around a lot. With the DH now, left fielders are kind of co-DHs a lot of times. So maybe they are sharing time. Maybe they just didn't have enough innings to qualify. We'll have to wait and see. But hey, it's great news for Ian Happ. And if the Cubs are still looking to trade him and he does win this award, then how much more valuable does that make his uh, trade potential, what he would bring back. Now, I'm not saying I want to trade Ian Happ right now. I'm just saying that that would be another nice thing to add to his resume.
2: Right. Yeah, there's there's kind of two ways to look at this, is that it adds a little something to the resume. Um, at the same time, if you're going to work on an extension that works in his benefit, that he's going to technically cost you some more money. So absolutely, it, it works both ways on that. Um, I, I You know, from everything I've read and seen and everything, If it's up to David Ross, Ian Happ is staying on this team and he's getting extended. Now, whether or not uh, Jed Hoyer feels the same way, uh, yet to be determined. So uh, we talked about it before about how, you know, no one other than Kyle Hendricks was extended from that 2016 World Series team. So uh, let's see what happens on that one. And Ian wasn't on that 2016 World Series team, but, you know, roughly around the same time with a lot of those guys, you know, made his debut in 17 and stuff like that. So we'll see.
1: We just mentioned re-signing. We mentioned Ian Happ potentially re-signing. We talking about how much money it would take to keep Ian Happ around. Well, let's talk about how much money it's going to cost us, the fans. Crowley, you're a season ticket holder. How much money is it now going to cost to see our Chicago Cubs?
2: Well, John Greenberg from The Athletic just had an article uh, talking about how ticket prices are down 5.1%, okay? So the Cubs drew... Two million six hundred sixteen thousand seven hundred eighty fans to Wrigley Field, which sounds fantastic. In fact, pretty much every other ball club other than like five would die for those kind of numbers. <laughs> that being, I mean, again, see South Side. But um, at this point in time for the Cubs, that was how many tickets were sold, not how many butts are in the seat. And if you are someone that did go to a lot of games especially in the, in the spring and later in the fall, a lot of empty seats. And when you talk about a lot of empty seats, a lot less beer sales, a lot less concessions. And the one thing that I've noticed is just the amount of uh, people that are being hit up for season tickets. used to be impossible. You'd wait for your number to call and you'd move like five spots every year. And maybe you were going to get it when you were a thousand years old. Not anymore. They're burning through it. And now they're kind of making some cold calls, like calling back, like, hey, remember when you were on the list? Well, would you like to be back getting season tickets? So I think it's loud and clear that there's an issue right now. Um, attendance was very much affected, uh, you know, whether it's the pandemic, whether it was the, uh, the sell-off last year, and whether it was a team that was, out, you know, flopped out of the gate, whatever, with no, you know, with not a lot of big marquee names anymore. No pun intended. Um, you have to wonder that the Cubs really realize that there's an issue. So, um, you know, it's it's a good article by Greenberg, and and it really talks about it was probably the biggest average. He couldn't find a bigger average decrease going all the way back to 1991. And if wow. you remember the 90s, those were abysmal decades until Kerry Wood and Sammy Sosa resurrected the team from the piles. Cause that, those were some really bad teams.
1: Yeah. Some so, lean years. Yeah. Some lean years there. I actually ran into a guy Crowley. He said he moved a thousand spots. Yeah. This easily. season, this easily. season, he moved up a thousand spots and he is right on the doorstep again to get Cubs season tickets. Absolutely. So my, absolutely crazy. My,
2: my, my invoice was sent today. I didn't have a chance to look at the dollar amounts and compare it to last years, but, uh, It'll be interesting. And anything that saves me money, I'm not going to complain about. I think that just in general, it's um, a good deal. You know, I mean, it's a recognition that that product this year was not that good. And here's what they do in these kind of situations. I've seen some bad years before and they say we drop prices. And what they do is they kind of manipulate. There's a tiered pricing structure so there's marquee games there's platinum games gold silver bronze and they'll play around with those numbers and they'll say ticket prices went down well no you you know you put a few more in the silver and bronze category and took a couple out of the diamond or the marquee or the platinum you know tier this is an actual price drop so you know from you know it's been a while and people have been taking baths on the secondary markets i mean you want to go to a game especially in the the spring or the fall you know, you can go to StubHub and pick it up easy, but those are coming from season ticket holders that are the ones left holding the bag and losing money. So, I think it's a real big recognition by the Cubs that this is this is an issue. So, we will we will see in 2019, so the f- last year before the pandemic, they had 23 crowds of more than 400,000 fans and zero with fewer than 30,000. In 2022, the Cubs only had four games of more than 400,000 and 20,000,
1: 40,000,
2: 40,000 40, and 20 with fewer than 30,000. And I'm assuming that most of those games that went over 40,000 would be probably like the Boston games where you have a big traveling fan base. That's coming in to take a look and seeing what happens. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The out of towners. Right. Yep. Yeah. So makes a we'll, lot see, of we'll sense. see
2: what, we'll see what happens, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's th- that that's 2019 we still had Joe Madden in town and all the, and Rizzo and Brian and Baez and, so we'll we'll see what happens this offseason and if that generates maybe some more spending in the free agent market.
1: Well, you just brought up Joe Madden. That's our next topic, Crowley. Joe Madden is making the rounds right now. He's got the book of Joe that he wrote with Tom Verducci. And yesterday he was on the Scored. Uh, David Haw pulling double duty, filling in for Parkins and Spiegel yesterday. Had some interesting things to say. I think I have a couple that stood out to me, but I'll let you have a chance at it first, Crowley. If it was that interview or another interview, what has stood out to you so far as you've heard Joe Madden talking the last couple of weeks?
2: Well, you know what? I, I, I like what Joe is doing. Now, I'm going to be honest. I am, I love Joe Madden as a manager. I think he's a really good guy as a person. I've had some good interactions with him. So that being said, you know, I think a lot of it is is we've talked about trying to get the fun back into the game, trying to get an enjoyable product and a lot of us have been frustrated at what we see is basically an extension of the front office doing the manager's role. And so what Joe is saying is that look, I'm not anti-analytics. Far from it. Joe is one of the first big proponents of analytics. What Joe what I'm understanding that Joe would want is to have, you know, he likes, give me the information. Let me see what I should do with it. Let me, if I have questions, go and figure that out for me. But what he doesn't want is somebody calling him in the sixth inning and say, put this guy in here, let him manage the game. And so the one thing I thought was interesting is he did bring up his last year in 2019, that Theo was starting to do that a little bit more here in Chicago. Now I know that was an issue He talked about that with the Angels when uh, he was fired, and he brought that up. But I didn't know that Theo was doing that, Um, so uh, that was what stood out most to me.
1: Absolutely. He talked about one of the questions directly as he answered David yesterday was, well, in the beginning, the relationship was great. I would get a PDF with all this information. I'd go over to my favorite coffee shop, listen to some music, download the PDFs, and I'd get all the information I needed. I didn't need to go down into a concrete bunker and sit there and you know file page after page after page after page. But he thinks that now Major League Baseball wants yes-men. They want people that they can control in the dugout, and he does not want to be a guy that is going to be controlled. Um, I really think it would be an interesting question. If Theo had walked away the way he ended up walking away, would Joe Madden still be the manager of the Cubs today? Was it a Theo? Was it a was it a Theo versus Joe thing? Is that is that why do you believe? Is that why he's no longer here? And then also Crowley, I'll let you have the crack at this. Do you think he manages again next year? Do you think he manages again ever in Major League Baseball?
2: Um, I, I would say that if, if I think that either way, you know, it's, it, it was always hard to tell where Theo started and Jed began, you know what I mean? And, and so that was kind of tricky. And I think that that is the movement away from these big name managers and having the yes men, these guys want to have direct access into the clubhouse and into the dugout. And I think that you know whether it was Joe or Theo or whether it was Je- um, Theo or Jed it wouldn't matter i think they wanted more control over the decisions that are being made and when you're david ross and it's your first job you got you know, you know and i mean you're not going to sit there you don't have the, that will built, that that reputation built up to say no i'm not going to do that i mean you you you're, you're, you're going to do what your boss tells you to do so when you talk about some of these big name guys like joe um, you know, or Tony LaRusso or some of these guys that, that are old school. No, I don't want to say old school because that's to me diminishing what Joe did and what Joe has done. But when you're talking about those star managers, I wonder how you know, less and less, how is it possible that Joe Madden's not being interviewed for the White Sox job? I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, you know, he's
1: because he doesn't want to be controlled because he doesn't throw his arms around analytics. Those are probably the reasons, and they're just not smart enough to realize how much attention they could take away from the Cubs. If they hired somebody like Joe Madden or Ozzie Gian they would actually be competing for print and radio and television minutes and seconds. If they hired one of those two guys.
2: And again, Joe, Joe Madden uses analytics. He just doesn't want it dictated to him that right. there's a big difference between, you know, not accepting analytics and, 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 not wanting people micromanaging you, and that's where you know you're not going to micromanage Ozzy, you're not going to micromanage Joe, but you, you know if if I'm, I don't know if I, if I'm on the south side of town and I'm taking a look, and yeah, there's always been that issue of the Cubs dominating coverage, but also you're you know we saw how fast the Cubs window closed. The White Sox screwed up royally with Tony LaRussa. You you have you're you're running out of time to get this right. Okay. So, if you got somebody that you thinks an absolute you know superstar manager, great. Joe Madden has a ring. Joe Madden uh, was in Tampa Bay when they had many successful years. Joe Madden has proven to get a lot out of there. Did he do it in Anaheim? No. But guess what? That here's the one thing. I, I, when Joe took the job in Anaheim, I knew how much he wanted that. You know, to kind of go back where he started as a bench coach and where he won a World Series previously. But I was worried because I knew he was walking into a mess. As far as ownership, as far as the GM situation, uh, they were dealing with the, the, the relief pitcher that OD'd and the employee that gave him the drugs. I mean, it's just a mess of a situation. So do I blame that on Joe? I don't know what is going on in Anaheim. I just look at the body of work and just say to myself, man, you know, fine, if the White Sox don't want Joe, that's fine. But I think it's a mistake.
1: <laughs> You're listening to Season 1, Episode 43 of The Fly, the W670 Podcast. We're calling this one, The Price Drop, as Crawley found out recently that the cost of going to Cubs games next year will go down a little bit. The other thing we've promised on this podcast from day one is to take you behind the scenes, get you to know the players, the broadcasters, the front office types of the minor leagues. No exception this week as Crawley talks to Mick Gillespie of the Tennessee Smokies.
2: Joining me now on the fly, the W Podcast, the play-by-play voice for your Tennessee Smokies, Mick Gillespie. How you doing, Mick?
0: Hey, great to talk to you. And uh, it's kind of weird in football season, swinging back to a little baseball. But you know, there's so many good things going on. It'll be fun to talk about it.
2: Yeah, you know that was for, last time we talked to you was roughly you know kind of before the half of the season uh, finished for Tennessee. And uh, you know they they looked okay. You know we were kind of talking about it, and they were about what five games over five hundred when the first half ended. But all of a sudden, in the second half, things kind of turned around, and it's been amazing to see like the list of players that either started with Tennessee or ended up with Tennessee as the season went by. It's had to have been fun for you.
0: Yeah, it was. I mean, the position player wise, uh, a lot of power and uh, some some good defenders and some guys that I think we'll see in the major leagues in the near future, uh, and some guys that came out of nowhere that no one was talking about that weren't high draft picks but, you know, have played themselves into being considered prospects. So it was a, you know, as far as that goes, it was really fun.
2: Yeah. Now, now names that, you know, when, when the season started, obviously, Chase Strumpf was kind of a big name, you know, coming back. And Christopher Morrell, who all of us Cub fans would know, he was a big prospect and a fan favorite in Tennessee. And uh, they they were, you know, as far as Christopher Morrell, he wasn't there with you guys too long.
0: Yeah, I was kind of surprised that he got called up straight to the big leagues. But you know what? He proved to be someone that could go up and make that transition. He did a great job of improving – not just the physical part of the game you know but also the mental part of the game in, in really a short amount of time you know he just wasn't a very smart baseball player 2 years ago and then he came back this year and and you could tell it was something that he really tried to work on he had to slow his game down a little bit just not to make as many mistakes out on the field and he did that and he's a super athlete and he really cares he brings a passion to the game but what i was most impressed with was that he went from a player that would make you know one mental lapse every single day, you, you could count on it, and, and it could be on the bases, it could be in, you know in the field, it, it just they were just constant, uh, to becoming a player that made just a lot of great plays. He he started to transition into playing some outfield, and he turned into a really good center fielder, uh, shortstop. You know, it was too big for him two years ago. This year, just, you know, he he did a good job there, and so. When he got to the big leagues, you know, we knew he could hit for power. Uh, I was kind of concerned about his ability to hit for average and get on base, but you know, he proved that he could do that. But we knew that he could play defense. And I wouldn't have been able to say that two years ago to stay in the big leagues, to stay at the major league level you can't hurt your your team defensively and and he certainly didn't do that and i think that's actually what kept him up there you know because you can put him in so many different spots he can play you know 3 or 4 in- he could probably play all four infield spots right you, you can put him in the outfield so he runs um he's just a rally starting type of player but i was shocked i mean when he went to the big leagues and you know he hits a home run in his first at bat and he stayed up there the whole year so good for him and Uh, He's got he's always reminded me of Alfonso Soriano and Felix P.A., right? Right. You got you know, you're talking about two totally different style of guys with a lot of ability. Alfonso Soriano turned out to be a star player and Felix P.A. was a bust, you know, and it was like, where is he going to fall in, you know, in between these two? Because they were both great athletes. And um, and I still think he's kind of in in the middle there somewhere, but he's got the potential to be an Alfonso Soriano type. You saw him. He carried the Cubs a little bit this year. You know, Alfonso would put the Cubs on his back and carry them at times. And so uh, I think to me, that's the comparison that I use with him. Uh, So hopefully that he'll just keep getting closer and closer to that. Now I got to say just for uh, uh, Molly, I'm not saying he's Alfonso Soriano. Okay. (laughs) I'm just saying he reminds me of Alfonso Soriano
2: yeah kind of kind of the wiry kind of guy and people forget sometimes because with the Cub, he was pretty much left fielder but he played second a lot for the Yankees back in the day so
0: well the power it's, it's the power it's the speed you know the ability to steal 30 bases you know like the, Alfonso always had weaknesses right maybe the middle away slider but at times you know he you couldn't get him out and right. I feel like that he was very streaky in that aspect and I feel like Morrell is kind of the same way you know he's just a big strong kid that plays the game with a lot of fire and passion and um, you know and can carry the team you know and and, but at the same time you know that there's some weaknesses in his game and it's you know kind of balancing those weaknesses with his ability to be a star player so I don't know if he's going to be a star player but in my mind you know and who, who what does my opinion matter right but he just always kind of to me, as a you know guy who grew up watching the Cubs, just I, I, I would see him carry the team, and I'd be like, you know what, it's a lot like Alfonso Soriano.
2: Now, two pitchers that started the year with you guys that ended up in Chicago, Javier Assad and Brandon Hughes, both very interesting stories. Uh, Brandon, you know, obviously converted uh, outfielder, and he ends up pitching some really big innings for the Cubs, and Javier Assad got a chance, and he looked pretty solid in the few starts that he made there. Definitely, I don't know if they're going to both start, I mean, Brandon Hughes, I could see starting the year with the Cubs. I mean, Javier Assad probably still has a little work to do, but you know, just very impressed with how they were able to handle themselves in the big leagues.
0: Yeah, look, uh, Javier Assad. I don't know that anyone even considered him a prospect, you know. And because of that, he got to pitch a lot more than we see most of the Cubs pitching prospects. You know, he's just a guy out there throwing innings, and um, and then eventually he just kept getting better and better and better. Kind of old school, you know, we're, we're so protective over what we do with pitchers when they're starters right? and in this organization, you know, and you see other organizations and they're a lot more liberal as far as how much the guys pitch, how many innings, you know, how many, how many, you know, throws they make, you know, and all that stuff. You're out there pitching, right? You see the Braves, and they're constantly bringing up a different starter. And those guys in the minor leagues pitch a lot of innings. And for the Cubs, it just, it's not that way. And maybe guys are injured. I don't know. But it's, you know, last year we had, you know, five starters, but really we had two starters, Javier aside being one, and then three openers, you know, guys that weren't even going to pitch five innings, even if they could, you know. But aside was that guy that was just kind of old school like he's out there pitching every day and he and he's he's throwing all these different pitches for strikes and he's getting better and better and better and then he goes to AAA and and it translated there. I wasn't sure what it was what it was going to look like in AAA. Um, I thought maybe he'd be all right because you know being a pitch to contact guy and not having this this game's turned into where you strike everybody out, right? It's like, well I'm just going to try to strike your guy out. You're not going to put it in play or walk right and that takes a lot more effort than old school baseball which hey i'll I'll take some pitch to contact outs you know if i can throw five pitches and get through an inning i mean that's good right um and he's that kind of guy you know he he can strike you out if he needs to but you know what he gets a lot of outs where he doesn't throw a lot of pitches you know he he uses the defense and uh i was excited for him he's
2: wasn't wasn't that bull durham strikeout strikeouts are fascist (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, they are. But see, it's not like that, though. See, Everybody's the, the, fascist now, right? That, that's what <laughs>
2: that, you know, that was the big thing. Said, that was when he would tell Nuke don't know, you don't have to throw it. Just make get some weak contact and deuce it. Don't worry about the strikeouts. Get the weak outs.
0: Yeah. And maybe I've been in the game too long, you know, because <laughs> when I when I grew up watching baseball, I, I loved it, man. I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, I, I liked watching guys like Greg Maddox, you know, just just work and, and get through innings on three or four, you know, three or four pitches, five pitches, you know, uh, weak contact outs, um, you know, having batters off balance. And, and the strikeout was it, it's great, but it, it wasn't that big of of what we try to do now. And, you know, the, the, the style of the game is we're just going to try to strike everybody out. If not, we'll walk them. You don't get a lot of action and balls in play.
2: And that's why but, it's fun to watch, Cal Hendricks as well. Same kind well, of- yeah,
0: love him. Yeah, I mean, he's one of my favorites. You get a great point, though, right? And he always reminded us of Mad- Maddox when he was coming up. You know, the Absolutely. fact that he could, you know, he, he was really smart. No one's smarter at baseball than Greg Maddox. You ever get a chance to hang out with him and he starts talking about the game? It's really is you know, why they call him the professor. I mean, he just sits there and starts to talk about it and it, it just isn't the way that we probably think about it you know but Hendricks is the same way as far as his ability to to look at a hitter and figure out how to get him out and set him up for next you know the next two three at bats Greg Maddox setting up guys for outs during spring training you know <laughs> let I'm gonna throw him this in this spot and then I'm gonna come back and he's gonna think it's this and I'm gonna get him out you know Uh so yeah he's amazing but javier aside is a great example of what happens when you let a guy pitch and um i i think that you know he's a legitimate pitching prospect i mean i think he's going to be kind of a you know jose quintana type guy in the rotation you know somebody that goes out there and gives you a ton of innings and throws strikes and you can count on and you know maybe he's not overpowering people getting some strikeouts but at the same time you know um someone that you can really rely on and the other thing and 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 this is a problem with every team is he doesn't get hurt you know he's he's so a lot of these guys get hurt all the time then i think maybe part of that is it's a tough job to pitch i mean it's it's taxing you know but the other thing is when you're trying to strike everybody out you use a lot of effort you know and so that puts a lot of 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 effort and on your body and uh, guys don't last as long
2: now Brandon Hughes, did that surprise you how quickly no. he ascended you or were you I mean
0: no you look were i confident I'll say this like the Cubs have had this big issue developing starters, and we can debate what that issue is uh you know my gut feeling is is that you know maybe philosophy you, you know you're not letting guys pitch enough, you know whatever, but they do a good job with the with the bullpen guys, and not even good great I mean the guys that we had in the bullpen not this season, but last season, the best bullpen that the team may ever have. And Hughes was part of it. There's like five or six guys. You're like, if you if that team could never get them the lead, but if you could, it was over. <laughs> you know, and it like this guy's so, so dynamite, you know. And there's there's five or six of those guys who were with the smokies last year that are like Brandon Hughes that I think will all eventually get to the major leagues if they, you know, if they can stay healthy. But um, I think the Cubs do a really good job with the development of bullpen pitchers. And so they I think they lose out on starters because they're so cautious, but at the same time, you know, um, maybe a guy like cam Sanders, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Ryan Jensen, you know, these guys could be, you know, the, the next great closer in the big leagues or something.
2: Be fun to watch now. You talked about that team last year not being able to get offense, wasn't the problem this year. You got to see two very high performing offensive players come through for a couple of months. You had Alexander Canario, who the Cubs got from the Chris Bryant trade, he comes up on May 9th, and then you get Matt Mervis to come up with uh, on 517. And those guys were just both had unbelievable season. Mervis, the Buck O'Neill minor league player of the year, I mean. Did you ever, I don't know, I don't remember ever knowing any player that went through three levels in one year and was successful every time out, every level.
0: Yeah, and you, and you hope that that translates into a great major league career. You know, sometimes you, it's okay to struggle in the minor leagues. I mean, Matt Mervis, uh, 53 games for the Smokies, and, you know, he hit 300. And, you know, he had 14 home runs, 51 runs batted in. He was, you know, very good at first base um and then he goes to AAA and he continues to hit you know you, you you just wonder like it's such an inexact science you know like what is the right way or the wrong way to do things you know i feel like with the the, the cubs before maybe some of the core guys could have used some more times uh, some more time in the minor leagues you know they could hit you know Kyle Schwarber, but we we don't know if he ever could have been a catcher you know we right. moved him up too fast you know or Chris Bryant never struggled in the minor leagues you know he's trying to figure it out now right um, and that's kind of the, the tough part, but you win a world series, it makes it worth it. Right. So, oh, yeah.
2: um,
0: I, I, I think that I'm interested to see what Matt Mervis's season looks like next year. I mean, he was so good, man. I mean, just his ability to hit in the clutch, um, defensively could be, could be better. And it's hard to, I, I mean, I'm just saying that cause look, compare everybody to Anthony Rizzo. Right. I mean, right. he was so good. Derek Lee. I mean, that's good. Really good. Mark Grace. Some great Cubs first baseman. I don't put Matt Mervis in that area defensively, but he can hit. And he's clutch uh, and um, fun guy to watch. And I think that job's going to be his. And I'm curious to see what that turns into. And, and look, if he ends up being, um, you know, an everyday big leaguer, a big league star, I mean, he's a guy that was a – they didn't sign or, excuse me, didn't get drafted because of COVID or whatever. But, you know, the Cubs did – got to give their scouts – a lot of credit and i know part of it was that he had the choice because he was a free agent but during COVID, going out there and finding this guy and then you know development you know i i don't know what they did to develop him or not develop him but it doesn't matter i mean he got the job done right and and um some of it is just staying out of a guy's way and i think rick strickland is one of the best hitting coaches that the smokies ever had and he was their guy this year and and some of it was just hey I just let those guys go up relax let them do their thing, I think he undersells himself, but um, certainly worked for this team the entire Smokey's team. I've never seen him hit like this, and uh, you know in my years and, and Mervis is uh, is legitimately a prospect should be like the num- number one, two or three Cubs prospect. Uh, and the Mick Gillespie prospect book, he's ty- I mean come on man, you know you put up those numbers. I mean you got to be a top prospect, and then. Uh, you were talking about Alexander Canario. Selfishly, if the Cubs leave him in double-A, we win the championship. You know, he's yeah. that type of player, you know, instead of going to triple-A and sitting around and, you know, <laughs> we're like, what is he doing? We're looking at his stats. You know, what, why? We, we could use him every day. And and the thing about it wasn't the, you know, all the extra base hits. You know, he had 44 extra base hits. 24 of them were home runs. He had 61 runs batted and He did strike out a lot, but you know what, he – Just was it was his defense in center field that when he left immediately that made the team weak where they were going to struggle in the playoffs and then ended up coming a game short. He's the type of player that can win that game for you and he can do it with the bat, but he can also do it with the glove. And I think that people undersell his ability to play center field and you got to watch it every day. It's not going to pop out at you because he's not diving all over the place to make catches. He just gets to the ball. Um, and he makes the catch, and he makes the play. And so he, he cuts down the gaps. He's able to get the balls over his head. He can come in. He's a smart player. He's got a good enough arm. So I, that, that to me, is a, a big compliment to him because I'm sure everyone's looking at the home runs and the doubles, and but his defense is really good, and that's where we missed him the most.
2: Now, two guys that might have gone under the radar for some people, I thought Cole Rotor and Jake Slaughter were two guys that just really kind of, it kind of turned your head. I mean, Cole was coming back from what Tommy John surgery and, and Jake slaughter just absolutely ripped it up. He, he got what the, the player of the month for what June?
0: Look, he won the batting title in the league and uh he is a player that I don't, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen with. Right. I mean, is he, has he been put on the 40 man roster yet? Is he, is he on the roster? Is he going to be protected or is he going to be, you know, a, a Yankee or a Philly or a Marlin or something like that. You know, I'm curious. Um, he is a player that scouts have told me made substantial improvement. And I mean substantial. He's a, he's a big, strong guy. He, he, he's got a football build like a Mike Trout, um, you know, where he just looks like this giant dude out there, but he moves. You know, <laughs> he can move. And he, he played, you know, pretty good defense. Um, and he can hit. He's a good teammate. The other thing about him that I really like is he's smart. Like he runs the bases aggressively, but smart aggressively. He he's gonna put a lot of pressure on opposing offenses because of that. And 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 he's a guy who had 28 steals and 20 home runs. And he did that in 86 games. He wasn't even with the Smokies the whole season. Right. Um, but you know, you watch a big guy and you're wondering, you know, how agile, how nimble are they? And um, he's still got work to do, but I, I, I really like him. man. I, I, I'm curious to see how his game continues to get better. And he's a player – they used to do this all the time. You, know, you, you would go through the regular season, and then you would just keep playing baseball, right? You'd go over to Puerto Rico or to Venezuela or to the Dominican or Mexico or whatever. you play winter ball. And he's a guy who would probably benefit from that, you know, just getting more bats, you know, and and he's such a big, strong guy. I'm guessing that he would be able to physically handle that. So I I don't know how that's going to turn out, but he's interesting. You know, he's I really like him as a player and uh, I'm curious to see how it turns out for him. Well, I know I talked to Jared
2: Banner and uh, VP of player development. And last year they had 30 players stick around Arizona for the offseason, paid for their housing, pay for their food. They got to work out at the facilities. And when I talked to Jerry, he said, it's going to be up to 60 players this year. So those are a couple of guys that could definitely, you know, go back out, use the facilities, strengthen, be under the eyes of the Cubs and, and maybe really come out and have, you know, I don't know if they start here at double A or if they move to triple A or what, but like you said, be interesting. Uh, Two guys that I had my eye on when I was in South Bend a lot uh, were uh, DJ Hurst and Jordan Wicks. Uh, kind of had some struggles moving up to Double A, but that happens sometimes when you move up that level.
0: Yeah, look, they're prospects, and uh, both of those guys, uh, in different ways, have great ability, right? And I mean, they, they, you know, they hard throwers. Uh, but both of those guys struggled in Double A, you know, and, and, and it'll be a good spot for them to start next year. Um, and then the biggest thing, too, is is getting there and, uh, you know, not just you know, pitching, but also um, staying healthy and making starts, you know, and and kind of sticking around for a while. You know, um, I mean, and, I mean, like Javier Assad, you know, where you're guaranteed in the lineup, you're you're you know, you're not always having an issue and, and not pitching, you know, it's like. Okay, well, where where are you? You know, Javier Assad is a prospect because he just wouldn't go away. Right. You know, like he just he just kept hanging in there. So, I think both of those guys are um prospects because they 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 do have good stuff, but you know, I I didn't see enough of them to say, "Hey, you know what? This is what this guy's going to look like." They just they didn't both of them in a different way. Hers, you know, hitting batters and not really giving up a lot of hits, but just you know, kind of being all over the place. He would like, you know, walk a bunch of guys and hit guys. And you never really saw, like, you see flashes of greatness. No, Don't get me wrong. But it just, it, it just, he's got to put it together. And, and, and you got to do it here. And then you got to go do it again. And then you got to do it. But he's only 21 too. I mean, he's such a young guy. Uh, and then Wicks, you know, we, we, we saw him and then we didn't. And then, so uh, I'm guessing that this will be the one, two punch for the Smokies at the beginning of the season. And then, you know, I'd have, probably a better perspective but i'll tell you this both of them very the talent you when you watch them you're like okay yeah these these guys are they got talent no doubt
2: right and like you said then it comes to in between the ears and staying healthy you know
0: well i mean how much of it is just being being there right you know being relied upon i mean now, you may be the best radio host in the entire world but if you know if you're never there i mean well you know it's like okay well you know, at some point a guy like Javier Saad is going to be the guy that you're going to depend on and he's going to be the guy with the job, you know? So um, I, and I think that's a lesson for every player, you know? I mean, it, it, that's kind of what, what this business is. I remember Bobby dunier telling me, you know, that you're, once the season starts, you're never a hundred percent, Right. you know, and, and who's able to play through that.
2: You know, I love me some Bobby D, but 2013 was the last time that the uh, Smokies were in the playoffs? And all of a sudden, boom, you guys are back in it. How excited was it? What was the atmosphere like in Kodak?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was good to be back. I mean, we, and, and it's not just that we weren't in the playoffs. I mean, we've had some of some horrible seasons. I mean, as far as record wise. And, and, and when your job is to, you know, to broadcast games when your team's constantly getting lit up, you know, I mean, it was like nine years of just terribleness. And so you, you, you know, like you're every day. I'm preparing like for to do the broadcast. Like the game doesn't even exist, right? Which is shameful. But that's the way that the minor leagues are, and I guess that's the way it is in the big leagues for some teams. You know, I mean, you're you're trying to find anything to keep people interested in the game. But the last two years, I, I noticed the difference last year. You know, R- right off the bat, that team they didn't win a lot, but they were very scrappy and young, and you could see the talent. Uh, you could see the Cubs taking a kind of a different direction and then this year you know even though they 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 didn't win either half you know they did qualify for the playoffs um and then got in the playoffs and upset the best team in the league you know so that was cool yeah the it rocket was city trash pandas and yeah, knocked them off yeah a team that we play 30 times you know and we've had like uh, some some pretty heavy you know battles with over the year you know the years the last couple of years so that was that was definitely gratifying Uh, And hopefully, that experience will help those guys when they get to the big leagues.
2: Yeah, the Trash Pandas, you said 30 times, they took 18 of those games, and then they come out and they hit you guys in the mouth nine to five (laughs) for game one. But then all of a sudden, in this game two, you guys get a four to two victory you know, first playoff game in Toyota Field history. Yeah, play, you know, and then all of a sudden, you end up having game three, what you call it the Harrison Wenson game, right? Was that like two two home runs?
0: Yeah, yeah, man. How about that? The guy gets. Guy, he's like a 114 batter. He's a good defensive catcher. He gets let go by the Angels. Cubs sign him. And then, you know, they, and they, the, the Angels stacked that team. They, they left all those players there because they wanted to win a championship. And um, the Cubs, Cubs the, you know, the, the, the Smokies beat him, you know, and it was the, the entire playoffs in the league were so weird because the team that won the first game. Lost the next two, so no one, no one took advantage of their, you know, their one game lead, you know, because all their three game series. So, uh, but yeah, that was crazy. I, uh, Winston, I, that's something he'll remember the rest of his life, you know. And when you, when you're on a team and you're, you know, the backup catcher, and and you're not getting to play every day, you know, and and you're kind of trying to prove yourself, and you get an opportunity in that situation against your former team. You don't get that a lot in life, and he took advantage of it. And and he he, that was one of the best playoff games you could ever have. He had two home runs. He scored all three runs in a three-one game, three-one win. Threw out a guy trying to steal.
2: <laughs> it's amazing, real. Yeah. And and you know, unfortunately, like you said, the the Smokies would take game one against the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, uh, but then dropped the next two. But you know, for like you said, for for a team that hadn't had a lot of success in a long time. What do you think you're going to remember most about the 2022 Smokies?
0: Yeah, well, I, I like the team a lot, you know, like their manager, Michael Ryan. Uh, young guy. I mean, you know, he's in his 40s, but I uh, just did, did, did things the right way. You know, just easy to be around. He just treated everyone uh, with so much respect. The, the team kind of followed suit he was one of the best managers I've, I've been around in my long extended minor league career. Right. And so I, I appreciate that he made life easy on us. And then the team played so hard too, you know, they, they were just tough. You, you, you know, when things went, went poorly for them, they, they got back up and fought hard. They never gave up. And, um, you know, sometimes the, the starting pitching was so bad, for this team in stretches. And even if it wasn't, it, it was like, we we're set up to lose, you know, when you have starters that aren't going to pitch five innings, then that means that you're going to use the bullpen early. And, and over the course of time, you burn your bullpen out, you know? So then it went from the starters to the bullpen, you know, but they still managed a way to win enough to get into the playoffs. Right. So I'll remember that. I'll remember you know, the two, uh, no hitters, and they were with four pitchers each, you know. And I and I had made a comment, you know, about how I just I don't know I'm so old school, you know. <laughs> hey, look, if the no hitters, one guy throws it, you know, <laughs> and then uh, the Mets had one, and you know Wayne, you know, used to work at the score, and you know, I'm like Wayne Rendonza, yeah. yeah, I'm like giving him a little bit of <laughs> then like that next. I don't know next day or so we have one and it's like, okay. And you know, I saw the excitement that the team had and then we had another one and I loved it. So I'm not always right. You know, even though I've been around a long time, like you learn stuff and y- you see, you know, the game's changing, but at the same time that was really cool. Um, we had a guy, we have a guy that I love, uh, Darius Hill and he's just a hit machine. I think he ended up having, I, I don't know if he finished that way, but he he had more hits than anyone else in baseball for a while. And, uh, he did really, really awesome for the Smokies, and then he went to AAA, and, and you look every day, and he's batting over 300, and he's such a good player, and he plays in the outfield. He's always thinking – reminded me of Sam Fold, you know, when Sam Fold was with us, where he was just not only a, a good – he was just a smart, smart baseball player. And and he could tell what you were doing wrong. He could tell what he was doing wrong. He could tell what the other team was doing. Well, anyway, there was a game where – he was a triple short of the cycle in his last at bat and he hits a gapper and he goes for third and he's out by that much. Oh. And I just remember thinking like, I'm so glad you went for it. Right. You know, I'm glad you didn't stop at second and just, you know, go for it. That's what life is about. You know, the team was up. It wouldn't matter or anything. Go for it. They made a perfect relay to get him out at third. But I just thought about, you know, that may never happen again in his career, in his life, or you know, he'd hit for the cycle. But he, you know, he, he just ended up that short of doing it. And um, love that guy. Was one of my favorites. I think he'll end up being in the front office. But I remember him, all the home run calls. Like, I got to perfect my home run call by the end <laughs> of the season. And, and through those really bad years, we didn't have a lot of home runs, you know, ironically. And so this year, that was not the case. A ton of guys. Hitting home runs. You didn't mention uh, Jonathan Perlaza, but you better mention him. He is a, a up-and-coming star. Uh, he was so much fun to watch every day in right field. He just grows on you over the course of time. First time in my, I grew up. I loved Eddie Murray switch hitting. You know, it was Baltimore Hall of Famer, and he could he hit home runs from the right side and he hit them from the left side. He used to do it. You know, try to do it in the same game. You know, so when I was a kid, I would try to switch hit. I wanted to do that. Uh, it didn't happen for me. It did happen for Mark DeShera, who watched him too. And then he goes on and breaks Eddie's record. Uh, first time in my career, I had a guy do it. It was Prolaza. He hit home runs same game, both sides of the plate. I thought that was awesome. So that's something that I'll never forget. And, um, you know, and just that we had a lot of fun on the broadcast. Uh, I think our broadcast is as good as any in the major leagues. Uh, I think sometimes we're overlooked a little bit just because of the politics of, of this business. But you listen, you know what I mean? Like we just have a blast and people and and our our fans, they have our back. They love listening. They're they're kind of part of the show that we do. And we made it through all these years of terrible teams. But as the, you know, like the broadcasting part of it, it's so much easier when you have a good team. Like, it's like, hey, wait a second. I don't have to talk about, you know, this baseball card's value. We can actually get (laughs) into the game here. So I'll remember that as well.
2: Well, you know, Mick, I've listened to you on radio for, with Tennessee. I've listened to your spring training when you used to do it with Lenny, and it's always been a great listen. And I encourage all Cub fans to listen to the Tennessee Smoky games, especially like like Mick's saying, you know, just an exciting, fun team that's coming up. And uh, Mick, where could people find you to uh, listen to your stuff on social media, anywhere you want to promote or plug?
0: Yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this right now. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know. If the Cubs wanted, I, I had a guy tell me one time, if the Cubs wanted a fan, they'd go out in the bleachers and get one. Uh, and I would tell that executive, that's me. You know what? If I lived in Chicago, I'd be with you hanging out in the bleachers, drinking beer. Uh, that's because that's the way I grew up. But watching Harry on TV and Stoney, who I still love, um, that's what Cubs baseball is all about, man. I mean, it just kind of shaped the, the way that I – you know, kind of do my job every day, you know, just the, the fun that those guys used to have and kind of what, what the Cubs have always meant to me. And, uh, you know, and I know a lot of people watching out there kind of feel the same way, you know, through the ups and downs, uh, 84. And then of course, 2000, 2003, I mean, what, oh my goodness, you know, but then to come back and, and, and finally get over the hump and now trying to figure out where the next, where the, where the next, thing's going to be but i think jed hoyer's doing a good job and i think eventually it's going to pay off for the cubs he's a really good guy but yeah check me out at broadcaster mick i also uh uh, cover alabama that's where i went to college so um do some stuff with them and then uh baseball during the season and uh now anybody that wants to follow me at broadcaster mick on twitter
2: and we'll definitely make sure to plug that we appreciate you for coming on mick and i hope to talk to you again soon
0: anytime man i love you and your bobblehead collection i'm a fan of your bobblehead collection let's see them look at that man i want to do the podcast with some cold beer in your your home studio over well, there, we got, there. We, got,
2: we got the tapper right around there it's all there man hey man you got an open invite anytime you want all right, buddy?
0: i got yeah i've got my kegerator right here this is my home studio <laughs> use we'll it for there. football
2: we'll we'll pop in some dead tunes we'll talk some baseball and we'll drink some beers my friend how's that yeah. sound all
0: right look I, I went to wrigley this year for dead and company it was awesome i missed some smokies games not everyone was happy with me but i had to do it because i didn't know if i'd ever get a chance to do it again tell me your favorite dead song
2: oh boy i would probably i know it's kind of cheesy to say but althea would, would definitely oh, I, be like there, it, I like that one man i like that one I don't know. It's when he gets that groove going, especially when Jerry's really into it. Yeah, I I love Althea. There's so many good ones. I was always a big fan of, uh, boy, Warf Rat's one that really kind of hits me in the heart sometimes. And I would say also, uh, Jack Straw's a fun one. A good old yeah. I like that one.
0: (laughs) See, I'm a I'm a Slipknot helps on the way guy. You know, I'm I'm Station. You know, I mean, Little Franklin's Tower. uh scarlet begonias fire on the mountain you know shakedown street like i'm a groovy guy man give me the groove like i like that when the you know the bass is hitting and it's like uh I, when i saw him in atlanta a couple years ago i was buying everybody beer <laughs> and then all of a sudden they start playing shakedown street and everybody's like man where are you know and i'm like fucking back with all these beers so no I, I i love it man well yeah i'd love to do that
2: Well, the the funny story, Mick, is I used to drive a minivan. I used to, you know, it's my mom's minivan. I used to drive around when I was like sixteen-year-old, and I had a. It looked like a Sesame Street sticker, but it said Shakedown Street. Nice. And all these hippies used to honk at my mom and wave, and she never (laughs) knew why.
0: (laughs) So I'm a Shakedown Street fan, (laughs) the real Shakedown Street. Like, but. The, the one at Wrigley was like that's the first time I've ever seen it contained like that you know oh
2: yeah, oh, yeah. There, there's cool. always there's always fun one maybe one day we'll get a we'll get a dead we'll get a dead podcast going Mick
0: uh dude I would love to man i I gotta tell you this one and then I gotta go do my other show but um so I'm a kid talk, you just this brought me brought back a memory my father died when I was in high school and I inherited his car it was a 1979 Chevrolet Caprice and Palace it was like one of his old cop car looking you know, cars. And it was red with a, a, a white top, you know, and I think he had bought it off of a lady that, you know, was like an older lady. So it looked like an old lady's car. And uh, so I had it and I'm like, man, this car and my friends had made this name up, you know, for the car. I'm not going to say it on here, but it, <laughs> was, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a great name to have. And I was like, I'm just putting dead stickers all over this car. So i put the dead stickers up. And all of a sudden, I had street cred, and everybody liked it. You know, it was like, "Oh man, that's cool!" Like the the back seat was a couch. Like everybody thought it was a big couch, and <laughs> I had the I said speakers in the back, like the you know, like the speaker box. And my 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 girlfriend's uh, family would always know when I was coming over there, which they probably didn't like, but because I could shake the that box was so loud, it would sh- it would vibrate their house as I was pulling. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That was probably some other one from the nineteen seventies, the Phil bombs, right?
0: Man, who even knows anymore? You know, like I, the the thing about it was back then I wasn't the kind of dead fan I am now. I was like, uh, you know, like a skeletons in the closet, dead. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like yeah, the yeah. greatest hits guy. Like I didn't get it. It's I've had like four different re, like rebirths with the dead. You know, and when COVID happened, I, I just you know I was so depressed because. You know, I was I felt like I was going in the right direction. I'm doing all this stuff with marquee. I'm at my you know, I'm finally made it, you know, and then all of a sudden we're trying to find toilet paper. And it was like just it was overwhelming, you know, and I just went back and listened to like these old dead concerts and kind of found myself again, wrote a book and uh, with the dead playing a lot, you know, and so it kind of it, because I, when you work all the time in, in broadcasting, you don't really have a chance a lot of times to do all the things you want to do in life. And I put so many hours into trying to climb this ladder, you know, with the glass ceiling that, you know, you're like, oh, wait a second, you know, and, and that's when you, and when you hit that, you just find something else, you know, it, it's just the way life is. So anyway, we, this is the podcast we should be doing <laughs> instead of talking about prospects, <laughs> well, or as Buddy Bailey would say suspects,
2: prospects <laughs> or suspects.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: Well, thank you again, Mick, for joining us. And we'll definitely do it again in the future, buddy. All right, All
0: right, right, brother. Take care, man. See you. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi wild cherry also available in zero sugar. So grab a Pepsi wild cherry and get wild.
1: You're listening to Season 1, Episode 43 of the Fly, the W670 Podcast. It's Dustin Rhodes and Crawley. This one we're calling Price Drop. And, Crawley, we are now smack dab underway. The ALCS, the NLCS are underway. The Phillies and the Padres, the Yankees and the Astros. What have you seen so far that you've liked? What haven't you liked? And uh, where are you at now as far as prediction time?
2: Well, I got to tell you, I got a little bit nervous. You remember I bet against the Phillies again, and they take game one, two to nothing. What I took about that is Kyle Schwarber murdered a home run. He did not care that that ball had a family or kids or anything. He absolutely, I believe it was the second longest home run in StatCast history, 120 miles per hour off the bat. Very fun. And it looked like the Phillies were just intent on proving me wrong again, When the next thing you know, the uh, Phillies blew a pretty decent lead against San Diego.
1: Four nothing. Four nothing. Four nothing.
2: Yeah, San Diego roars back. But then I still realize that I still have some PTSD of those ugly colors of the of the Padres and seeing the towels and stuff, the mustard. It just brought me back to '84. So for me, that was a little bit difficult. Um, But at least you got a series. You know, you got a good series, one-one going to Philly, and we saw what the atmosphere was like last time. Uh, Astros and Yankees, you know, good to see, you know, they're the, the Yankees are down one, nothing. They played their first game last night. Anthony Rizzo hit a, hit a a home run, uh, which was nice to see. So Rizzo with the home run, Schwarber with the home run, um, you know, Darvish pitched really well, you know, David Robertson gave up a home run. So I'm just kind of watching some former Cubs, but you know, I got to tell you, Dustin, I, I, we can talk more about this later, but I'm just not a dusty Baker guy. You know, um, that, is, that is just not my thing. And I'm just, I, I don't want to see him win a World Series. If I'm petty, I'm petty. But, I, I and all the fawning that he gets all the time, it happens all the time with him. I just, it I, I, it makes it hard for me. It's like, I don't want to, I never thought I would ever root for the Yankees, but here I am.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm going Yankees. I'm going Phillies. I want Schwarber versus Rizzo. I think that would be great television, great drama. Both teams can hit the long ball uh, as the, what is it, the early 90s commercials used to say, chicks dig the long ball. I mean, Padres, Astros, Crawley could be the death of baseball. They might not have anybody watch outside of San Diego and Houston. It will be the lowest Rated World Series of all time. If you give me Astros, Padres, I basically have no interest in that whatsoever. Well, I mean, it's hard
2: because I mean, when I think about San Diego, you know, they got, they have a. I mean, you saw it last night, man. The emotion, those. Players. Oh, the fan
1: base is great. I mean, listen, their fans were great. They had great weather waving the towels you talked about. They were showing bars in the, what is it, the Gas Lamp District, right? Is that what they call that area? Yeah. Our our Wrigleyville type area that they have going on. Listen, the fans were into it. Fantastic. But it's just, I don't know that anybody's going to get behind an Astros Padres World Series.
2: What I'm talking about though with the Padres is they are a fun, emotional team to watch on the field as well. And so you saw the emotions last night when they're pouring it on and they're screaming and they're yelling. Your guy Josh Bell going
1: off.
2: And so I I was just watching that and I'm like, God, it's so fun to watch. They're so good defensively, especially, I mean, just watching Manny Machado and some of those home runs that they hit. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I don't, I I get what you're saying. When you talk about the population, when you talk about a Philly, New York is going to draw big ratings. But to me, like what is going to be the more exciting team to watch the players to watch you know, and that's not to say New York doesn't have it or the Phillies don't have it, but but the Padres, I think, are just as fun a team as the Phillies. And so, you know, it's if you want to get people into the game, it's how you market it, it's it's those type of things. But, you know, I think San Diego, New York would be a great series, or San Diego, Houston would be a great series. I think you got four really good teams here competing, and, and I think the World Series is gonna be exciting.
1: How about this, Crawley? Hashtag anybody but the Astros.
2: <laughs> anybody but the trash throws I don't care Put put the asterisk no Dusty and Dusty I don't trust he I, I never forgave him for 2003 and, and and that's where I'm going so I I, I don't have a dog in the race uh, in in that Houston in that Phillies uh Philly San Diego I guess you know what I want the Phillies to win over San Diego sure but some I don't know and then and then like I said I'm actually rooting for the Yankees which I never thought I would do but here we are
1: Here we are, Crowley. That's a wrap. Season 1, episode 43. The price drop is in the books. By the time we get back to you guys early next week, I doubt we will have anybody representing the National League or the American League in the World Series, but I've been wrong before. But I've also been right a couple of times, so we'll have to see what happens by the time we get back to you guys early next week on the Fly the W670 podcast.
2: And if you can't wait till early next week, make sure to follow our socials at FlyTheW670 on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook, FlyTheW, so that you are up to date with everything that's going on. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or anything like that, you can email us at FlyTheW670 at gmail.com.